Hello, friends. Did I do it? Welcome back to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Your host slash co-host, Jordan Shallow, here with the uh, one and only Dr. Stephanie Cohen. Hello. Um, today's episode, we sat down with Ian Kaplan, Simon Chang, and Dr. Pat Davidson, and we discussed, um, what did we discuss? Uh, frustration around conventional academics, the emerging market of... Um, decentralized education in the fitness industry, specifically around Pat's domain of exercise science and biomechanics. He has a uh, an under or a master's degree in strength and conditioning and a PhD in exercise physiology. He was a professor at Springfield University as well as Brooklyn College. Pat has brought out his model of rethinking the big patterns. He's written three books um, and he's speaking this weekend uh, with me at me, Jordan, at Hybrid in Miami. Uh, the Rethinking the Big Pattern uh, certification series is gonna be out in January 2022. It is gonna be a written quiz followed by three in-person seminars and another written quiz based entirely off his book, which you can purchase online. Uh, Renaissance Periodization is still the purveyor of that book. I have it. All three, four of us have actually read it and own it, so highly recommended. Pat on Instagram, Davidson at Davidson. Oh, I'm fucking on fire right wow, now. Just wanted to give myself a little plug, quick <laughs> plug. Um, and do enjoy the episode, guys. Um, and look forward for more from me and Pat in the near future. Uh, huge thanks to Nick and the hybrid crew, Cap and Simon Chang for the color commentary and our one and only um, toast of the show. Dr. Wow, Stephanie that Cohen. was pretty impressive, I'm not okay. gonna lie. Uh, always remember to screenshot this episode for a chance to win some free hybrid legacy swag, to be entered to win some free hybrid legacy swag. As always, sit back, relax, enjoy another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Quick shout out to our sponsor, LMNT. Uh, it's a great tasting electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto low-carb, or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, with no, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. If you want to check these guys out, this is something that Stephanie and I use all the time. Uh, check them out at drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. All right, we're rolling. Are we rolling? <clears throat> Dr. Pat Davison, oh. welcome to Hybrid Unlimited. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for so much me. for taking your time to sit down with us and talk. Appreciate it. Can I just say quickly that was like, I've been on the podcast. I'm not gonna flex here. A lot of never had such a formal introduction. She has a notebook out. 
the level of respect you're getting is far and beyond. Far and beyond. I told you that I've evolved as a person and as a professional. I feel like you're evolving you know, as I'm I devolving. I gotta tell you, it's it's deserved. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Absolutely, as we'll find out this weekend. Yeah, man. Continue. Why don't you uh, give us a quick introduction of who you are and how you got here? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, from an academic background, I have a master's degree in strength and conditioning and a PhD in exercise physiology. Uh, from a athletics perspective i played baseball primarily coming up i played in college and then switched over when i was done with baseball to mixed martial arts and with that i kind of you know got directed towards education in exercise science like you know i'm originally from cape cod massachusetts and you know my coach at that time you know there weren't a lot of jobs in that area there's not like a ton of opportunity it's almost like a place where people kind of go to die and um <laughs> you know he was kind of like why don't you look into exercise in some way shape or form for a career path like i don't know anybody that likes to train as much as you like you're obsessed with training and, and nutrition to be able to be in your weight class and like you know you really love this stuff you have a passion for it so i i directed myself in that way and I really, you know, I, my whole life I wanted to be a jock. And then I kind of found out I was more of a nerd. <clears throat> and it was kind of disappointing to find out that I was like really good at reading, synthesizing and writing. But that's sort of what I found out during that period. And I, I just kept pushing it education wise. I had a, a really big time mentor of a professor, Ellen Robinson, when I was at Bridgewater State doing my master's degree. And I wanted to walk in her footsteps and do a PhD at Springfield College. And that's what I did. And following that, I worked at Brooklyn College before returning back as a professor for Springfield College. When I was at Springfield College, uh, there were a number of students that were competing in strongman there. Uh, Rob Kearney being a, a very well-known person from, from that school and uh, the Hadge brothers as well as the other two that were like, uh, you know, they're now all three of them well-known in Strongman and, and Rob beyond Strongman. But we had an amazing team, uh, Springfield College Team Iron Sports. And also uh, Ethan Grossman was on that team as well. Ethan just won the, uh, the Olympia Amateur uh, a couple weeks ago. So he's now an IFBB pro in bodybuilding. And Rob and Ethan were the two presidents of the team, and I coached the team as a professor. And we brought a number of, of uh, student athletes to the Strongman National Championships. We went to the Arnold. You know, we, we just rolled in as a college team from a random place in Western Massachusetts with, uh, I was competing and also coaching. And it was a pretty awesome experience. Um, you know, for me and Strongman, I only competed for three years, but I had a very good background in terms of classical strength and conditioning um, and development in terms of like, uh, you know, running, throwing, uh, cutting, jumping, lifting. And it transitioned very nicely into strongman. And I was able to finish top 10 in national championships twice for 175 and compete for two world championships uh, at the Arnold Classic. But after Springfield, I, I ended up moving to New York City for private business uh, opportunities. And with that, it was very difficult to continue on with the strongman stuff. So I, I kind of just 
transitioned into more entrepreneurial work. And since then, I've, I've written books on training. I've written Mass, Mass 2. Uh, and most recently, I wrote a book called A Coach's Guide to Optimizing Movement. And I've also created a seminar series that I teach, uh, which is very tightly uh, you know, linked with the, the last book that I mentioned. Uh, the seminar series is called Rethinking the Big Patterns. And it's essentially my, my training model and movement model wrapped up into a presentation, group of presentations now. And overall, uh, I think that I've become fairly well known because I have a pretty strong academic background and I'm also someone that has lived in the trenches and that comes across to the people that I meet where it's like I'm not just, you know, pushing glasses back on my nose and talking about like minutia, but I actually really train. I try to train like a professional athlete even now where I'm not a professional athlete anymore, but I don't really know any other way to live. And that kind of passion driven into my own training and the people that I work with and the work that I do really fuels me in life. That's like my life pursuit is to continue with this with intensity and passion and love. So, you know, meeting Jordan, it's, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, there was a very easy connection there. You know, I think we both saw in each other that it's a very similar Thing. Especially on training like a pro athlete. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, Joey Chestnut. Joey Chestnut's gonna have his run for his money. Pro, pro professional eater here. That's where this is headed. Uh, well, I, I wanted to dive into something that was because we've seen this a lot in strength sports, where strength sports are a lot of times seen as like a lone wolf pursuit. Yet pockets of the strongest motherfuckers in the world just seem to pop up in these team atmospheres. And so obviously hybrid has turned out like world-class lifters across many disciplines. You know, I learned how to power lift at Boss Barbell Club where I was frequently one of the only people training without a world record. Um, and we see it like in Texas, there was Ben Pollock and uh, Rob Hall, a handful of other really great lifters, North, Northern Florida with Dan Bell and Seth Albersworth. So we start to see like these weird pockets. Now you come from an interesting one where how much of what was going on with Springfield and with the bodybuilders and the strongmen mm -hmm. that were competing at the world stage. How much of that was from the book learnings of Springfield or how much of that was just from the passion and love of training? Well, I, I've always said that you can't win a horse race with a bunch of donkeys. So there was a, <laughs> there was a lot of talent there. You know what I mean? I, I walked into a great place. Like Springfield College is known as the cradle of coaches. Uh, it's where basketball was invented, volleyball was invented right down the road from there. And there's some ridiculous percentage of Super Bowl teams that have had a strength coach from Springfield College. It's like over 50%. Every still. AT I've met at the professional level is a Springfield guy. Mm -hmm. wow. So it is like if the majority of students there are athletes and interested in some branch of exercise science or physical education. So when I am working there, I'm basically working with a room full of people just like myself for the most part. It's like I'm standing in front of the class and the students kind of look like me too. It's like, all right, this works pretty well. <laughs> and they're, they're motivated, they're intelligent, and they've been that way for some time by the time like I get to work with them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like in some ways, it's almost like how great of a coach would Phil Jackson be without, you know, 
the Jordan Bulls and the Shaq Kobe Lakers. Like, I don't know how many championships he's going to win. You have to have some serious talent to be able to just guide in a direction. So I think that we were really beneficiaries of a lot of things, like the fact that the school is a draw for students that are very interested in training. And if you're not interested in training, you are not going to do well in bodybuilding or strongman. No shot. Um, the other thing that never gets mentioned in this story is that there is another gym right down the road from Springfield College called Lightning Fitness that Matt Mills owns and runs. And Matt Mills has been a competitive powerlifter, strongman athlete, and bodybuilder. And Lightning Fitness is a true international lifting hall. Like, it's just, you walk into that place and it's a bunch of dinosaurs roaming around. There are some really, really strong, dedicated people. And Matt has built that gym with like a, just an assortment of equipment that is, you know, the best I've ever seen. I've never walked into another gym that big and complete in my life. And there are so many talented individuals in that place. Uh, Carlos Reyes is another person that trained there that was just a monster. He was the first person I saw training when I walked into that place, like sprinting with like a thousand pound yoke down the thing. And I was like, what? Like, is everybody in here like this? And like, no, Carlos is special. But like, yeah, there's a lot of people in that place that are like that. And as a team, we would roll in there every Saturday and train events for strongman and just be around other people that were really special individuals. Yeah. You kind of talked about the exclusion criteria set forth by Springfield and just having this like this curated team already for you, right? Like, of like-minded individuals that have literally been handpicked from across North America or the world, really knowing Springfield. How is it that you deal with the transition? You go to New York, you get into the entrepreneurial space, mm -hmm. you undoubtedly end up back in education, the amalgamation of social media. How do you deal with exclusion criteria when it's at, when it's your task now? Like in putting out seminars and putting out rethinking the big patterns and going around the world, have you struggled at all with not being able to curate for your audience as much? How do you, how do you deal a, with that? a great question. You know, my first job in academia was at Brooklyn College. Um, and I get there, and one of the professors there that was in my department, he goes, hey, you know, just so you know, I know you've been like a, a teaching assistant at Springfield the last few years. You know, these kids aren't Springfield-level kids. And I said to myself, well, fuck this. I'm going to make the material here even harder than what it's like at Springfield. And every single one of those kids at Brooklyn College raised their bar and met it. Wow. Okay. Like, and you know what, when I got back to Springfield, the way that I was teaching at Brooklyn and the intensity of the classroom experience was way more than what the Springfield kids were used to. And I feel like they were a little soft and had a little bit of an ego. What specifically did you change? Well, when I was at Brooklyn College, every single class that you came in for started off with, you got a quiz on the material and not from last class's material, what was going to be covered today. So if you didn't read, you're going to fail your quiz. And you know, the way that I taught, because Brooklyn College had no anything there. I remember going in for day one, like ready to like have my PowerPoint presentation. There's no PowerPoint projector. Overhead slides. No, there's nothing. <laughs> it's a blackboard and chalk. Are you good while hunting it? So I had to, on day one, be like, oh, okay, what am I going to talk about? But I learned to teach with that style. And I eventually just learned to teach with the quiz. Okay, here's your quiz. 
And then I'm going to take the quiz and we're going to answer all the questions as a, as a class. And this, guess what? This is the material for today. And so I kind of start off with that style at Springfield. And the next thing I know, they're all complaining about it. You know? Did you do any research on that style of like reverse learning, like being prepared for class and like then taking a quiz? pedagogical standpoint? Well, yeah. classroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, I, my bachelor's degree is in history. And every class that I took was, was taught like, like that. Like you didn't, it wasn't like you were expected to have done the reading before. That was my undergrad. Was it really? Fuck God, this is so weird. <laughs> Continue, sorry. Anyways, no, of course it was. God like, uh, you know, so that, that was what I was used to in undergrad. undergrad and I, I felt like my undergrad in history was like equally challenging to the PhD I did in exercise physiology, quite honestly. And, you know, so I was familiar with that style from a pedagogical perspective and yeah, I was kind of forced into it at Brooklyn College because I was like, I don't even know how to teach this material on a daily basis with like literally no resources in the classroom. So my only resource was just this quiz that would sit in front of me. And I had to kind of know the material well enough to answer those questions and it would just guide right through the whole class. Um, so it worked really well. Uh, it's just that it was really interesting to me how many immediate complaints I got from the students at Springfield. Honestly. How long ago was this? I was teaching at Brooklyn from 2009 to 2011, and then Springfield from 2011 to 2014. Okay. Yeah. So, Alonso, going back to Jordan's question. Okay, so from obviously, I understand the discrepancy between Brooklyn and mm -hmm. what's the name of the other college? Springfield. 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 Yeah. But when it comes to just teaching the general public, which yeah. maybe it's people that didn't even go to college, how do you adjust? I don't really adjust that much. I, the material stays the material. <laughs> the way that I communicate might have to change a little bit. But it, for the most part, I think, that often, I think that the failure oftentimes is on the person trying to get the information across, where you should be able to communicate this stuff if you really know it to practically anybody. Mm -hmm. And I've found oftentimes that it's the people that don't have the background in exercise science that seem to pick it up almost faster and easier. It's almost like uh, other people have these preconceived notions and sometimes what I might be saying violates that mm -hmm. and they're almost in this mindset like, whoa, 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 like trying to defend themselves as opposed to just listening and being receptive. So when there isn't this block up already or when you get people that are just not really looking to listen but just waiting to tell you what they think and know, which is, oh my god, I hate that. Yeah, it's yeah, the worst. Because I'll just go to, I just won't go to their seminars. <laughs> like, oh yeah, where's when's your seminar? Great, I won't be there. <laughs> but also, I don't know. For me, I feel like fitness has been done a disservice with this telephone game. Maybe it's because like a potential advantage point that there's a lack of consequence. Like medicine doesn't dumb anything down. Like mm. we were talking about my sister, who's like a real doctor, not some jackass on Instagram who <laughs> pretends like that's me, not you. You're like the real. I just crack balls. There's three really big doctors. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey. all the none of them do anything that we were taught in school. Yeah. But like, there's the telephone game we just got away with. It's like no, actually, like the human system is actually quite complicated. Mm. And there's a certain point of like dumbing down, but also to your point about other people smartening up. Like, yeah, there's, we're like, Joe Rogan has this quote that we're chimpanzees, we're chimpanzees with universes for brains. And mm. it's like, I love that because it's such a perfect, like highlight of how complex this thing can get. When you move into like, cause the in-person I think excludes quite well. Cause it's like, all right, who's willing to 
pay their hard-earned money to show up and listen to this? Who values it to the same level that we're pricing it at? But how do you deal with the social media side where now there's no vetting process? Anyone can come knock on your door. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I ultimately am not on my own social media anymore because it was just too aggravating yeah. in a lot of ways. What was aggravating about it? Um, I overall was just like, first of all, I like to needle people. Just, <laughs> You're the best I, at it, though. I am uh, for sure an industry terrorist on social media. <laughs> I love to just like write something that I know I word very specifically to be as inflammatory as possible. And then I just sort of like pitch it out there. But at a certain point, it was just becoming too negative for me. <laughs> it was pretty good, though. And, it was uh, pretty good. Well, it still is, I think. Yeah. But I just. You know, I have someone else do all my posting for me, and then I just, I don't look at it, I don't interact with it whatsoever, uh, which is better because I don't even know what happens. It's, it's that's <laughs> almost worse. You just take the pit out of the grenade with your teeth and you just throw it yeah, in there. Yeah, the lunch. Just, just walk away, yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, overall, it was just becoming like too much of a weird echo chamber in one side. Right. And then like purely people trying to focus on one thing that they don't like, like they just block out 99% of what there is and then just pinpoint something tiny and specific and usually odd and just attack you relentlessly over that. Yeah, they petty fog the issue. Yeah, the classic straw man. Is social media your main kind of source of marketing? Yes. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So how have you changed? How have you changed your approach in social media, or, or over the years, I guess? Like the evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that I originally started off with like really good intentions, of like the, the road so to hell. Yeah. Of like you know like like really spelling things out and taking my time and like thinking things through very carefully and trying to be articulate with what I posted, and then. I think that I just gradually became more and more inflammatory. And like, uh, I, it's funny because, you know, you, you kind of mentioned that my Instagram for, for quite a while was just pictures of words. It was the oldest man Instagram I've ever <laughs> yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, it was the equivalent of FaceTiming your dad's ear hole. It's like that, no, there's a camera there. It was like, it would just, because it, it wasn't a Twitter feed. It was right. like, he would no, somehow pick like, the background. It's the Facebook Backgrounds oh, that I would wow. screenshot and then post to Instagram. Screenshot the yeah. Facebook backgrounds. Yes. Can I say that. something though? Fire. Fire. It was. Dude, it was like the most concise because it wasn't even he wasn't even doing 140 characters or less. He was doing like 17 characters. Limits less. You, each one like, was a fucking nuke. It's like brutal <laughs> haiku. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like little limericks of hatred. Yeah. About <laughs> okay, so you went from that to. Uh, then just having it be slightly more traditional with like pictures of things and videos. And then, uh, like, you know, like Christy, who, you know, um, you know, she, she handles my social media stuff and she also gives me some instruction on like, Hey, let's have a little bit of structure to this thing. And like on this day, we'll kind of put this in there and we'll just have like an education post. And I started something called clown college, uh, That's which is like, thing was you know, <laughs> Let's just like pick something that is horrible in the fitness industry. I'm going to dress up like a clown. I'm going to mimic it. And we're going to post that. Um, and those have been fun. Um, and yeah, so it's a little bit of a balance between now like a video that actually is helpful for people, clown college, 
and then uh, some kind of like hateful haiku. But do you feel like that's, I feel like that is a very, in getting to know you over the last couple of years, that's a very true representation, like a cross section of you. Cause like, because yeah. like, you'll sit down, you'll get, you'll grill someone, mm-hmm. then you'll say something insightful and then helpful, and then you'll care about something that they say, and then you'll grill them again. It's like, yeah, I'm kind of like a grandma in some ways, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll uh, be strict with you, but then I'll bake you a pie. Yeah. 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 So I've once like, I've <laughs> seen like the tiles move around now. I'm like, oh, that's such a true representation. And I yeah. think that's when social media becomes manageable mm-hmm. is that when it is just like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a little bit of me is because you're not just you know, poem bombs of like just destroying parts of the industry. What, what's nice about him is that you've earned the right to be comedic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have the background, the accolades to be able to put a clown outfit and still mm-hmm. be taken seriously. Yeah. You know, so that's really nice. But I, so I think COVID <laughs> has done something interesting. Tom and I were talking about this earlier. Like the term educator just gets the i don't even have that in my instagram bio you're an influencer and i own oh, an education yeah. company <laughs> according to like my taxes but it's like covid you just ignored my comment right now yeah absolutely yeah. i paid it no respect i saw him right <laughs> now that's I just thought, messed up well because the comment was defamatory <laughs> i hate that word it's the i word would you prefer a fit thing? <laughs> only if it's by my fit fam if my fit fam is called hashtag fit fam uh, well because covid no one could do anything yeah. So the ability to teach across the board and just have a level playing field was like a weird kind of like catch up, but not really. And it's like, so you have people who've never done anything, who've never taught at a college, let alone Springfield, who've never competed at a world level, who've never, you know, they've gone through ridiculous doctorate degrees. And I say ridiculous too for the chiropractors yeah, in the room. But how do you do you do you pay attention at all to other the contemporaries in our space that are like attempting to with I, no background in education formally i honestly don't really know who anybody is that's best. i'm so <laughs> jealous i really don't like it's funny like this even the sports that i've done like i i have no idea what's going on in mixed martial arts i didn't really enjoy the sport that much i was just good at it like there's not much fun about it you know what i mean like it's really difficult like uh strong man I, I have no idea what's going on in that sport anymore you know i'm i'm, I'm either in something 100 percent or i'm out right. and you know there's a few people that i learn from in terms of like what what i want to learn about uh but other than that like i i try not to have much noise going on like i, I really just try to if i'm going to learn about something specific i'm going to try to go straight to a major reputable source and only learn through through that like you know with focusing for me on in my own training a lot of sprinting stuff like just Eric Hansen mm-hmm. you know because I know his background and I want to get very clear coaching coming from one source right. and very clear information coming from one source so I can really learn that and parse out that information and see it for what it is rather than like you know, I'm going to learn this from Derek and I'll learn this from Lawrence. Right, Segrave, right, but you're a smart this. guy, but people are so impressionable nowadays. It's mm-hmm. like people see somebody balancing on a BOSU ball with yeah. a with a red nose and doing whatever, and they think that... That was a clown call. That was a clown yeah, call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, but I think it's yeah. a, it is a problem because yeah. there's so many people putting stuff out there that are, like Jordan said, not maybe not prepared to do so or don't have the appropriate background yeah. to be talking about that subject and then... 
just influencing the masses on yeah. new stuff. Yeah, but it no drives me crazy. I mean, I, I the history background is pretty helpful with this, where I think that you look at these revolutionary time periods, like the French Revolution, and so much of it was driven through satire in some ways. Like some of the the really powerful thought leaders use satire, and I use satire relentlessly. And the degree to which people don't get it oftentimes blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I did a series of posts that I thought were really funny, but just people didn't get. And it was like, the first one said, if the knees over toes guy hurts his knee in a forest <laughs> and isn't, no this. one's there to post it on the internet, does he actually have knee pain? And like, to me, that's hilarious. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because it's someone that has like a very specific thing about their knees. And what happens if the knee guy has knee pain? Like, <laughs> who does he have to talk about it with? He yeah, can't talk yeah. to anybody about it. So it's like so sad. Like it, it has to be silent and it has to just be like in the corner <laughs> and like unmentioned. <laughs> and gallons of ice cream, yeah. My Chemical Romance playing in the background. Yeah, and, and exactly. Like, that's exactly, <laughs> and just like, oh my God, like, oh. But hey, I how you doing? I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. It's, it's good. Like, no, it's something else. Yeah. Like, uh, but, you know, and then the he just, he just yeah, Nancy like, Kerrigan's himself with the lead pipe. He's just like, all right, well, hey. The response to that, to me, was like, I kicked Jesus's dog. And I was like, it, like, they were like, how could you say this about the knees over toes guy? He's such a great person and he's such a great person in our oh industry. And like, Love, you're a yeah. terrible human being. And I'm like, I didn't actually say really anything bad about the guy. I'm not sure if anybody was paying attention. Uh, I did a similar one, like if Eric Cressy hurts his shoulder and no one's there to perturb him in half kneeling, does he actually have shoulder pain? And, I love that. Yeah, because like, I had like some of Eric's guys like being like, hey, what what do you have against Eric? And I was like, Are I you do literally nothing. I have nothing against Eric. Perturb in split stance too. Um, yeah. Yeah. If the muscle know. doc loses his muscle. <laughs> What kind of doc? What kind of doc? Yeah, chiropractor, kind of really shitty one. So I better, I better yeah. stay on drugs for a long time. You know, people I just love getting upset. People do. That's, I, that's the conclusion I get. I, I stopped before it. I did my Stu McGill one. And oh no! Like, well, I said oh, that I'll one was like you. if if he hurts his back in the forest <laughs> and doesn't do a bird dog, you know, and I was like, actually, bird dogs are super useful in forest. Right. You know, like yeah, probably uh, more but, useful in forest than they are in back pain. Yeah. Whoops. Did we get that one? They might be useful for telling you where the pheasant came from. <laughs> over there. Over there. Like it. Boom. Fuck. So. Yeah, I mean, look, like, I I don't know why, like, you get one, uh, somebody putting NFL players balancing on their knees on physio balls. And, That's like, right down the road. That's quarter DBC. Squat. Yeah. I'll call like, him up. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's like, I was thinking of Seedman. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, or, or just doing something wacky with, like, a thousand bands, you know? And it's like, then what? That catches on so fast. So... My only approach to it is like, well, this is not good stuff. I mm. want to be able to call it out. My primary tool is satire. Uh, satire is really interesting, though, because I think people get so butthurt over everything now in the wrong way, where it's kind of like, uh, you know, but it's fine. I don't actually, I don't mind that much personally. I'm always just amazed by the responses, where it's like, how did you get that out of this? But there, so there's a few things. One, how you do satire 
is admirable in the sense because it's how you've approached your entire career. Like you have skin in the game. You mm -hmm. dress up like a woman in your gym yep. and try and bring the safety squat bar into the bathroom or some, one yes. of my favorites. Like that was <laughs> artful, by the way. That was literally a movement version of one of your hateful haikus. Like yeah. this is performance art. But where everyone else, and I fuck, dude, I see another meme, I swear to God. Like, I, you don't do memes. You go all in. You're like, all right, I'm going to, in public, there's people like walking into hype. And they're like, well, this is my gym, I guess. And there's Pot sitting there just like flexing on everyone wearing, I'm sure it's Kate's singlet. or. Kate, uh, well, we actually went to a mall in Jersey City amazing. and found those outfits. I love so, it. yeah. It, but there's skin in the game. Yeah. Right, because there's skin in the game. Because you were a strongman competitor, mm -hmm. that it was also a teacher at a, one of the world leading schools. Like, and that's what I can't stand. It's the same kids who are just online educators that were just big box personal training fitness managers who are like their satire is even a half measure. Like, and go I'm, all in, show your face, coward. For sure, and this is what concerns me: is the future of education, especially in the way that kids these days are digesting content. You know, mm -hmm. I see so many people or so many kids that stop by hybrid that are 18, 19, that they decide they're not going to college because they think that all of the information is available online. Quick shout out to our sponsor, LMNT. Uh, it's a great tasting electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto, low carb or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, with, no, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. If you want to check these guys out, this is something that Stephanie and I use all the time. Uh, check them out at drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high-quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. While there is a lot of good information out there online, there's also a lot of bad information out there. And there's a lack of structure, a, la a lack of filtering. There's a lack of appropriate appraisal of information by the consumer, you know. So it really does concern me. I just had a meeting with or an interview with the Dean of the School of Education of, U of UM, because I want to be an adjunct professor. And we were talking about how the master's program of exercise phys and even the even some of their exercise phys and in the School of Education and the teaching and learning department are have been decreasing in uh, students. And a while ago, remember when we started Institute of Strength? Yeah. That I read that one article about yeah. um, Generation Z consuming content different or in knowledge differently yeah. and them not wanting to go to college and invest the time and the money that it takes to actually get through a whole career or maybe go get a master's or get a PhD. Just kids, kids these days are just not willing to go through that. And it does concern me, you know? But I, I feel like and I've, I feel a victim. I, I can almost empathize with someone who looks down the barrel of a ridiculous student loan 
And that's a thing. I what, empathize with that too. Because it's mm-hmm. so antiquated. Like we've all, through our own experience, synthesized new models mm-hmm. that based off of, sure, loosely, like I don't think you can replicate the discipline it takes to get through, you know, a postgraduate education, right? Like it's because it just teaches you to do shit that's dumb. And it teaches you to like, at least enough, it instills enough frustration to do something about it. And so I feel like even now in the decentralized education space, those who are really spearheading it, it's like, there's, there's a lot of dumb shit you gotta go through on a business end that you just have an attrition because you've gone through, like you've woken up and like, I have to do what palpation lab exam? Are you fucking joking me? Like, yeah, it's the operator internist. No, yeah, I'm definitely on it. Like, gives a fuck, you know what I mean? So it's, I still see it as a, as a vetting process, but like I look at the content, like me and Kat both went to Cairo school. Go. It's certification, it's not education. Right. And you jump through a bunch of hoops and now you're certified that you know things but also yeah. dude, but like compare that to the education that we got like yeah. it was sick to have a year and i was a ga so i had four years with cadavers yeah right mm-hmm. so that for me was worth like all right we're gonna adjust c1 and say oh, no we're not yeah, there's, what there's an opportunity to learn in there and our thing is different right i think there's a difference between just generally going to college because like probably the greatest thing you could get is a stem degree like the greatest instrument of upper mobility like if you're a poor kid and you have a stem degree from an institution you would have yeah right if you, if you have a liberal arts degree from some college in the middle of nowhere, that's something no one cares, right? So there's, a, there's all degrees are not the same. Right, but and also I mean, we have professional degrees that also kind of... But narrow it down to like a kin. Someone right. looking into like, I want to be a personal trainer slash online yeah. coach, influencer, whatever. Are you going to incur the debt of a yeah, kinesiology right. knowing what you're going to learn? Right. Like, yeah. what, this is the beep test. Starting in five, four, three. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the fat burning zone. I swear to God, I learned that in undergrad mm-hmm. when I switched from history to kinesiology. It's like, it, that's and that's exactly the point that I brought up in that conversation with the dean of the school. I was like, what kind of practical knowledge are you getting from that master's degree in kinesiology or even from an undergrad in kinesiology? Where can you go to work? You know, what kind of real life skills are you getting from that degree? And that's, I think that's what kids these days are wondering, right? Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to pay my student loans? I'm also yeah. curious to get your guys' perspective on, because I'm less directly involved with like the state of employment opportunities in the industry, because that's what drives, right? Participate, participation and certification is that these people have somewhere to go, mm-hmm. right? That their, that their first job out of college is not just another minimum wage job that they could have gotten, you know, before they went to college. And that there is a career path for those people. I think the challenge is how is it that you take your education, like if you're speaking to Pat and I, or even Steph and Simon on the hybrid side, how do you make your education, certification, whatever you want to call it, how do you make it a career accelerator? I I don't understand the career path of the coach. And that's the thing. It's like I had to look at my career path as a coach, and it was 100% networking. Like a little bit of differentiation because I was – you know, I was about lifting first. Yeah. But if you can instill that and create exclusion criteria, how is it that your education system, your certification, just like like Harvard on resume looks like something, and we go, oh, this guy went to Harvard, great, you're hired. But Google kind of said like, yo, Harvard, MIT, Ivy League, doesn't matter, give me someone and we'll teach them. And Google does their own internal education yeah. now. Uh-huh. Google cares about interesting people. They don't, they no longer, they used to care deeply about Stanford. Right. But now what I'm saying is like every job I've got, I've never sat a job in, whether it's like 
at the corporate level with contracts with major gym franchises, whether it's individual athletes on retainers, I've never had a job interview that I wore sleeves to. <laughs> it was all network. It was all like, hey, I heard you're the guy. And I just trained with a guy, I trained with a guy. So it's like, I think the big, the big thing is how do you create a viable network that vets and assesses people's knowledge while simultaneously making it a career accelerant. Mm -hmm. So it's like going out of your way. Like you guys had Ryan Orr on the podcast. Ryan Orr is one of our coaches. He's also the strength coach for the New York. He's Met. so awesome. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, he said you were his professor. Oh, really? yeah. <laughs> so like seeing um, that on a resume. He's, he's really good. He's yeah. So but like that, I think is that's where the title turn. And I think that's where universities are too monolithic. And that's where I think with the social network, like, and using like social media as a tool, that's where you can use as a tool for career acceleration, right? And I think that's on, that's on, I mean, I don't think schools can compete with outside educators with larger social media followings if their intent is to, okay, I want to see this, not, I don't care if you know it per se, I want it to be relayed in application to an end user, whether that end user is a client trying to lose weight in a commercial gym, whether that end user is, a kid trying to, you know, run a four three hand a laser in a forty, so he scores a big, you know, first year deal. It's like, how is it that, you know, he has a network, I have a network, hybrid has a network, and it's like the education is one thing, but it's giving them opportunities to use that education. So I've been thinking about this because I think it's such an interesting question of like, kind of like, what do we do to yeah. make more professionals that are actually competent and yeah. talented? And I was like, well, what are the different examples of places that actually produce people? And it's like universities. It's so hit or miss with universities. You know, like you really can't, if someone comes to you and they have a college degree, it doesn't really tell you anything about how effective they're going to be working with you or for you. It tells you really nothing. Like. If someone comes to you from any other avenue, you know, they got a certification through some, some place, like mm -hmm. it, you just have no idea. Yeah. I can't think of a consistent, like you said, vetting process that actually you can rely on that's like, oh, this person's definitely going to be, be what I want. Maybe the only exception to that is almost the old apprenticeship model of like the guild system where it's kind of like, hey, this person interned under this person. Mm -hmm. They're going to have some really effective things that they're bringing to the table. And to me, that just tells me that our field isn't that much different than trades. You know, uh, we're not that much different than plumbing and electricians and other ones like that because that's how they kind of are produced at a high level. Like you need to work with a master craftsman. And until you do that, you are not going to really have anything of value to present to anyone else. Because, you know, imagine you you hire an electrician to come do a job and all they did was book learning. Like that's, your house is gonna burn down, okay? <laughs> like, uh, same thing if you hire a plumber that only did book learning, there's gonna be shit everywhere. They need to have apprenticeships with masters, master craftsmen. And so I think the same thing is true of, of what is involved with, with exercise professionals is that they need to have some formalized baseline education that 
provides them knowledge in the greater sphere of anatomy and physiology, mm -hmm. but then they have to apprentice under a master craftsman. Mm -hmm. And until they do that, I, I don't know if they're really gonna be worth anything. Mm -hmm. And because it's kind of like, I see some people that like got an education and have competed in powerlifting. And I'm like, that's cool. Like you can coach powerlifting now, but what about everything else, mm -hmm. you know? Like, do you know how to coach with a kettlebell? Do you know how to coach people in running? Do you know how to coach change of direction and medicine ball throwing or anything? And it's like, uh, no. I love when powerlifting rears its head in the weirdest places. <laughs> like just watching like multi-directional athletes get coached by He's like West. Right? Yeah, just like yeah. today's our dynamic effort day. It's just like, <laughs> put the chains down. There's no chains on me. Yeah. What the fuck are we doing? It's my favorite. Who was the famous MMA or US? Bone Jones. No. no Isn't no. it John Jones? Was it? Who's getting... Coached by powerlifting? Yeah. Yeah. He's I'm doing so out of the loop, James I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's getting taught by like some powerlifting getting guys that people know yeah, on yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah. or some shit. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that reminds me of the residency system, something we were deprived of. Right? Like, kind of. Congratulations. You know, you have a doctorate degree. You're, you know, just enough to be dangerous. So, <laughs> yeah. So you, good luck. Know, you know, three years. But hey, I could build Blue Cross and Blue Shield to be dangerous. Yeah. I'll be yeah, real yeah. dangerous with those CPT codes. For three years, and you're going to. Yeah see everything and mm -hmm. then you're going to figure out you know, what, you, what you want to do. It's funny, like with, with what I've tried to do is, <clears throat> you know, I've thought about, like, I think that when I work with people in person, I, I do, I generally get the job done with the, the client or athlete that I'm working with. Before they get to me, they can't do certain things. I work with them, I teach them, I, I train them to be able to do those things and they get the, the outcomes that I was looking for that they were looking for. <clears throat> and originally I had like a pretty good internal model. Like it's, it's like the information was implicit inside me. Like I go to work, I work with people, I know what to do by feel, but that wasn't useful for getting that across to other people. And I mm -hmm. kind of have a mission of like, I would love to be able to have other people just, I would love to be able to just transfer the information of what I do, why I do, how I do to Neuralink. Other, other people. Just Neuralink it. Elon's <laughs> yeah. got you, dog. You just neural, just download into the old Neuralink. Yeah. <laughs> and so I tried to take everything that was implicit in me, if I'm working with people, and make it explicit and write it down. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've tried to do that. I'm sure it's like an ongoing process I'll have to do for much longer. But that's my, my mission with this. And what I like about it, from, from what my experience is in, in my career, is that the more that I take my implicit knowledge and make it explicit, then I understand it better in the aftermath. Mm -hmm. How know? many, how many like open loops did you reach in your logic? Whereas you wrote stuff like, wait a minute. Oh, because as you're flipping back into chapter yeah. two of the thing you wrote, you're like, mm -hmm. no shit. Yep. This makes zero <laughs> fucking sense. Scrap mm -hmm. back. Yep. Oh, thank God. That drives me fucking insane. I, cross-examined myself the entire time writing the last book. That's all it was. I just like putting myself on trial yeah. and just finding so many holes in the boat that didn't hold water. And it's like, whoa, whoa I got to go back on this. And like now, cause you've spoken on rethinking the big patterns before synthesizing it into the, the book. Mm -hmm. Was it upset? Not upsetting, but was, what was the feeling when you started to come across some of these holes in the boat? Cause it's like, use the analogy where it's like, you know, if I've taken this, I've gone like around the world. How many times would you think up till writing the book have you presented the concepts of rethinking the big patterns? I think I probably did at least 
10 to 15 presentations before getting to starting the book. Then when writing the book, you started to find like logic gaps. Was it upset? Yeah. What was your feeling when you're like, how did no one else well, catch this? The interesting thing is, is that, you know, the presentations I would do would be two day seminars, uh, you know, eight to five both days. So I'd never get to everything. You know what I mean? Right. Would, and so, and it just felt so incomplete that I started actually the process with writing two articles that I ended up sending over to Simply Faster, uh, Carl Valley's website. Mm -hmm. And by writing those articles, it actually helped me like morph the seminar into something new and better. And after writing the articles, I realized like, oh man, my work is not done with like trying to, because writing the articles condensed and made the information better. It, it gave me better command over it. It just did everything that made it better in all ways, shapes and forms. But it also was like, oh no, like I really have to like sit down and do this for a long time. I took three years to write that book, you know? So it really just became such a good exercise for myself to be able to gain greater and greater command over the topic as well as make the topic itself either cleaned up in certain areas or expanded in, in other areas that I felt like were really important to get into. But there's just, to me, it's like, there's never an information shortage problem. Right. It's only a time problem to be able to present the information, get the information across. Okay. And then of course, like a fatigue problem of just like, wow, I'm exhausted from working on a project. Of course. Yeah, well, I always think cause like the success or failure of exercise models should be based off of performance ultimately, right? Like, and I think that's really objective, regardless of subjective means in which you arrive there, if you can link the subjective to objective, where you can maybe, in a reproducible manner and all that, like, and models aren't without their limitations. In writing the book and becoming more concise and sharp and be able to wield these thought processes better, did you then see a correlation? Because I've had this work in both ways where it's like I've come, like I've been able to wield information better because I've written it down. But then that's not my goal mm -hmm. is to wield information. I'm trying to swing an information <laughs> bat around and start like, dummying people. It's like, oh wait, I actually need them to learn, learn this. And I've had it work both ways where I think I have a concise thought and writing it down has helped but then I go to teach it and then it's like, really? How did you get that from what I said? Because yeah. like that is ultimately the end goal. So it's like, yep. ha, ha, did you experience that on either end of like, obviously I'm assuming that yeah. the end goal was improved in some cases, but have you ever seen it go like, oh wow, like just. For sure, you know, I always look at most concepts as being a balance between limitlessness and constraints. And there's always an overshoot in one direction or the other. And then there's a calibration process to try to find the middle, but it's a never ending kind of a overshoot, undershoot, recalibrate kind of a thing. And with that, it's, it's like every time that you think you've gotten it right, the answer is you have to find out which side of the pendulum did I swing too far towards, mm -hmm. and the answer to correcting it is always to go to the other side a little bit more. Is that, because that's the frustrating part for me, it's like you tasked yourself with taking everything you know about exercise physiology, biomechanics, strength, and conditioning, and then attempted to build a model. But models by their very definition are reductionist. Mm -hmm. And then without knowing everything you know about exercise physiology, strength, and conditioning, biomechanics, then you end up at this impasse where you're trying to tune per situation and it really takes all the information you know to calibrate and strike that note. 
So it's like, I mean, models are great tools to teach, but do you ever find yourself getting frustrated with the idea of like, fuck it, I just need to write everything I know about everything and everyone just needs to read it forever and models are reductionist and if I do this anyway, someone's gonna just say, oh, he's just being reductionist. Like, yeah, no shit, that's what a model is. So you can actually use it on the gym floor because that's where this whole fucking trade exists. <laughs> like, uh, this is just me, this is therapy for me right now because it's so frustrating because like you're trying to create something that at the end of the day, I think ultimately will just expand to your wow, lexicon you, of knowledge. you really lost your mind. Oh, it's been gone. It. Yeah, it's this is this is two and a half textbooks. No, that's in. literally that's literally what what it was though, because <laughs> yeah. it was like you know what I'm so sick of people like missing the points or either being too vague, not specific enough in these yeah, areas, yeah. or overly you know myopic yeah. and missing the big picture in this area. But people love models, and models are marketable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, and there's I, utility and I did that because yeah. it, it's like. I can see like, all right, well, from a movement perspective, the FMS model, it's not cutting it, you know, right. yeah. from a, and, and it's like, well, what am I going to do? Just complain about this thing forever? No, like I'll, I'll, I will make my own, like for sure. Like I, I don't, th I, it's a sinking ship and we don't have anything that functions as a life raft at this point. So I'll build one, you know, and that's what I tried to do. And I'm sure that it's not uh, the perfect thing. But it was, is that what you know, Rethinking the Big Patterns is? Rethinking the Big Patterns is the, you know, it, it was the seminar series that I was doing that I, you know, I'm still, still offer this. Like, I mean, it's, it, I wrote a book uh, that, that is the book for this seminar series, The Coach's Guide to Optimizing Movement. And now I'm, I'm redoing kind of the presentations where it's a certification model now. So it, it works like this, like there's, Oh, an online introductory lecture that people have to take and pass a quiz online. And once they do that, they can now sign up to go to the in-person seminars. Yeah. If they attend all three seminars, now they can go back online and take the final exam. If they pass the final exam, they're certified. Uh, and the final exam is basically from the book. You know, it's still being made because like I literally just finished the formatting of the seminar PowerPoints. Like it, the first one of these in-person seminars is going to be given at some point this year, starting in the early next year. But it's again, it's kind of like I, I like what you were just sort of shooting a, a million <laughs> miles an hour. But that's that's kind of what my thought process was, was like, you know what? I, I hate being I hate being misunderstood. I really do. Like, I really try to be as clear as I possibly can. And I try to be logical and sequential and organized. And when that goes, when that's missed, it frustrates the hell out of me. So it's like, all right, fuck it. I'll just literally write the whole thing out in as organized manner as I possibly can, in the most useful way that I possibly can. And if you don't get it, that's on you, okay? And it's still frustrating because people still like will pigeonhole you. And then now I feel like I'm being called like the pancake man. You know what I mean? People oh, take- Oh, because of the lateral compression? Yeah. Why did I say anything? Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm they're like, oh. yeah, this, you know, you've got a whole bi biomechanics expert, pancake man, something like that. I'm like, how do you take like one, like not even 1%, like 0.0001% of like a tiny concept. And now that's the label for the entire thing. Like. You know, and then I, I'm like, oh, I can't sound like Seedman and just say, read the book. Like, that's the worst response you can possibly go with. Read the article. 
Like, but it's it's kind of like I I did take the time, and even with the program design, I remember having, having athletes at Springfield College. I write the program. And people are like, well, what is it? Just an Excel sheet? No, I literally write the program. I tell you what to do, but I tell you what it should look like, how it should feel, the intent, the concept. I don't write it. I write. A, I gave them fifteen pages. Yeah, that's his whole job. You that's know what, what I mean? He does. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's like how, like I need you to understand what the goal is, how you're supposed to approach the goal, the tactics, the technique, the whole thing. Like, mm -hmm. so I take my time, I write it out legitimately. Even now, like, you know, online programming, I send out a 25 page document to people that are signed up. And yeah, like I have someone that turns it into an Excel sheet for me, but it's like when I write a program, I write a 25 page PDF. That's what I offer to people. And so it, it's like, and then people send me questions and I'm like, read the PDF. Yeah. You didn't read the PDF. Like, what do you want from me? What would you do on the day that it was all understood? That's what I've been, that's what I've been come It'll to never peace happen. with. But that's what It'll I've come to peace happen. with lately. I've come to peace with this Sisyphean model of like, okay, my life is going to be just laying down beacons to illuminate darker corners of my understanding to other people. Like here's a, here's a, here's a lily pad you can jump off of. Yeah to surrounding concepts that will maybe broaden your understanding of this particular small subset that will help maybe once in your entire career. But it'll yeah. be sick when it helps. It'll <laughs> right. be bad. That's the nature of all work though. Yeah. Right. When, when, you, when so your job dramatic. is done, you're, then you have nothing, then you have no purpose. <laughs> right. But like, at least when you get to the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, you can start painting it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is a, let's, you just that's go actually, back to the other side. Yeah. Where it's like with this, it's like, what if you woke up in a world that's tomorrow? Also, that's also why I do what I do. Because at a certain point, the machine understands your mom. <laughs> and then what, you Lucius fox <laughs> it into the computer and you and walk you out of hybrid? No, like, you just type your name in? And then you make a new one, right? Because circumstances have changed. Yeah, I guess yeah, I, I mean, yeah. that's what I'm, because I've, I've, believe it or not, come to peace with, like, I'm much more at peace with the state of play of things. Yeah. Of, like, I'm okay when people don't understand or mi misrepresent me now. Yeah. Like, because my other option was inevitably a heart attack, which I'm not going to take <laughs> on the table. But it's like, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and biomechanics was taught at a high level in, like, the third grade and everyone understood it? It's impossible. You know, yeah. the universe yeah. is run by entropy. It's That's only going to get okay. worse. Like, <laughs> It's only going to get more disorganized and more disorganized. As long as the rethinking the big pattern dinghy that left the Titanic, the lifeboat just stays afloat. Until yeah, you, yeah, I mean, I'm, look, like I know that I find solace in that. I, I don't think that I'll ever have like a giant following. I'm too niche. I'm too specific. I'm too. Like, I just think you have a meta impact, though, because the people yeah. you reach are people that will will take this niche, maybe like rough around the edges, like. And I think the stuff that you rub the people the wrong way with is hilarious. Like, I think when people get offended, it's amazing. It's like, but I think those people will go out and they'll, like, you're, you're operating above the board, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, those people will go and do, not do your bidding, but they'll take those concepts that maybe they were too busy growing their social media following and you could just drop a bug in there. You're like, I think that's, that's what really, like, in the broader spectrum, how many people have really advanced civilization? This is like a super egotistical <laughs> way to like make a comparison, but there's maybe like 20 or 30 people across history who've like really pushed the needle, but they did that through a meta impact. And we still talk about them today. Mm -hmm. In our small microcosm of an industry, we could look back at the Charlie Francis's, the Franz mm -hmm. Bosch's, mm -hmm. um, and there's some guys in the modern space that are doing it, but it's like, you, you gotta, it's difficult to take up the helm and to deal with the criticism of these small micro. Have you ever heard the story of, 
Oh, what oh, is God, here we go. No, it's a really good fucking story. Um, he was a Russian mathematician that solved this very advanced theorem. Um, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Anyways, he solved it, and it was like, if you solve this, there was like a million-dollar prize. It was like the Fields Medal of Mathematics or something like that. And so he solved it. He's like, I solved this theorem thing. Is this and, good Vladimir hunting? Kind of, yeah. but it's better than that because okay. he solves it and then it took the math community like 50 years to sell him, or not 50 years, like 20 or 30 years to figure out he was right. And he solved it when he was really young. And then he moved back to Russia after like they didn't just give him the money and be like, be like, hey, no, he's actually right. So like all these polymaths got together for decades and then all of a sudden like, holy fuck, he was right. And then no one knew where he was. And a, a reporter from like the Globe found him and called him in Moscow. He moved back in with his mother. And he was like, please stop calling me. I'm too busy growing mushrooms. Hmm. So he was just like moved back in with his mom. I was like, fuck this. Like threw his arms up in disgust. It was like, I'm out. Hmm. Wow. I just like, because he was just so like dedicated to it that he was so, he was so upset with his contemporaries that he was just like, you guys, it's how you must feel talking to like me about <laughs> computer stuff. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe we're the same in some ways. I can't believe we're the same so, degree. So how close are you to just saying fuck it? And no, never. Because uh, this guy's a polymath. I'm some jackass that has some ideas about lifting weights and read a neuro textbook <laughs> once. Like, are you joking? <laughs> I just think it's just a, it's a it's a comforting feeling to know you're so far away. It's like, oh, like, I'm just an idiot. So I, I can just be a little less stupid the 30 or 40 years I have left. So that's like the piece I've come to in the last couple of years. It's 30 like, to 40 years left. I'm generous. I think what you're getting at is... Yeah, the, about 15 the, years. Right. The people who finish their intellectual pursuit often aren't better for it. Yeah, right. like the Lucius Fox <laughs> yeah, analogy yeah, yeah. of like, okay, my work here is done. Yeah. Sorry, what prompted you to go from a traditional institution teaching Good as a question. professor to online or seminars? Well, I was asked to leave Springfield oh, College. Please explain. Uh, I can't imagine. Go why. on. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not an easy person to work with on a regular basis. Like I'm a difficult person, quite honestly. In what way? You didn't preface this prior our weekend seminar. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're difficult in similar well, ways. You know, I I think that um, I'm gonna do things the way I'm going to do them, regardless of anything. You know, and. I work very well by myself, but I tend not to work very well in groups, quite honestly. Uh, it's very rare that I work well in groups, you know, because I, I'm not very cooperative most of the time. You know, it's, it's kind of like when I see something that's not optimal or a great idea, it's, I'm usually out or something, you know. So I think that overall, like academia is, there's a lot of components that are, predictors of success in academia that have nothing to do with being good at academics. And I was very bad at the other components of that in terms of like... The politics? Politics. Yeah, yeah I get that. Um, and also just, yeah, I mean, I, whatever the broad term of politics kinds of refers to, yeah. you know. I went into Springfield College, which has operated a certain way for a long time, and... Yeah. I really rocked the boat there. And it, I was, look, I was not a good fit for that school. And I think that it was a very good decision for them to get me the hell out of there. Um, so it wasn't like I left because I really wanted to leave though. Like I really liked being there. I liked working with the students. I liked participating in the research projects, but 
you know, like I was a, the black sheep of that department by miles. Did you enjoy that though? <laughs> I didn't even know that I was. was amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just how completely was, unaware. How was your class's outcome? I think that the feedback I've gotten is that uh, they were very good classes and that the impact I had on the student body was very strong. Do you feel like you, if you stayed there, your career would have been stifled from an impact perspective? Like, do you feel like you no. can reach more now than you could there? I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I think that the students that I worked with during the brief time that I was there have done really amazing things in the industry. And I think if I had more time with more students over years, it would have been really a great fit. I think, a, I think in reality, I was a great fit for what I was doing. I just didn't realize that what I was doing was kind of spitting in the face of the department as much as it was. And that, like, you know, I, I don't even fully understand all of the ways that it was not a great fit from the perspective of the other department members. If given the opportunity, would you go back to conventional academia? Like if, like what, if someone called you tomorrow and said, hey, we have a spot here, you can do whatever you want, carte blanche, good school, great that's, pedigree. That's basically what I had at Brooklyn College and I really loved it. The only problem with it is that the amount of money that you earn is very, very low. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to go from the private sector where you can earn a lot of money and then go back to the public sector where it's like, here's your check for 60 grand a year. And it's like, what? Like, how, how can you live off of that? You mm -hmm. know? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that that would be great in theory if I could, you know, earn the same amount of money now and do things exactly like I want to do them. I would love to be back in that. That, that makes me like sad. That. I think that's a problem that we experience as a society, not only in, in academia, just disruptors not being welcome. You know, people who do things their own way or who propose new ways of doing things just not being accepted by the system itself. You know, all of us are black sheep, literally yeah. all of us, yeah. you know, are people that just go against the grain, that do mm -hmm. things our own way, that create, forge our own paths. And we're just not welcome in traditional systems like that, that have mm -hmm. strict rules, that have processes, that have paths that are pre-made for us. You know, we just don't fit in there. Just don't. If you can picture it, like, you know, there was no equivalent to Team Iron Sports before I get there. And then all of a sudden, I'm there. I'm, at that point in time, 31 years old. You know, it's 10 years ago now. Full meathead, you know. Um, and within the first year, we had 37 kids on the team, okay? Other teams, you know what I mean? Like, I treated it just like we were another team on campus, okay? Like... The football team ate at ate lunch together and they occupied like their own group of tables. Their coaches ate with them. You know, they traveled to competitions together. That's all. That's what we started to do, to do too. We had a big team. You know what I mean? It was like we were, was the football team was the biggest team. Also we're the large. second biggest yeah. team. <laughs> Physically large. Second biggest team on campus. And all of a sudden we're getting a lot of attention too because we have kids that are breaking records and winning championships and I'm there with them. And it's like, what's going on here? Like, you know, you're supposed to be a professor. You're not whatever the hell this is. And I'm like, 
But that guy's a professor and he's the volleyball coach. Mm -hmm. There's no different here except that they suck. <laughs> and we're actually good. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and they were just, they just thought it was like, I, and, and look, like it, people here, I think understand, like you're going to get some interesting personalities that are good in strength athletics. Okay. Because the sport is, the sports are so miserable. Okay. So you get a bunch of nut jobs that are like, going to have kind of fucked up senses of humor and it's like the bonding is always going to be kind of weird and I'm right there with them. You know what I mean? Like, so it was almost like a band of roving pirates or something like that, that just would like roll into competitions and like we dominated, but we had a good time and we had some wild people on these teams. Like if you've ever met Zach and Nick Hadge, they are wild men. Okay. Like Zach is completely out of his mind. And you know what? It's kind of like I'm coaching these kids and I want them to reach their highest possible levels of success. And to me, you have to amplify their strengths. And some of their strengths is that they're a little bit wild in the head. You know what I mean? And I don't want to take that from them. It's like, it was almost like a team that would have been like the 70s Oakland Raiders or something like that. Like, who are these just guys? Lyle like, Alizado out there. Yeah, just like just, guys. yeah, like drool coming out of the mouth or something like that. And it's like, I don't know. Like, And for me, that's kind of how I felt like I was coached coming up in, in sports. You know what I mean? I had these nut job coaches and like crazy dudes on my team. And like yeah. MMA, you get some savages in there too. And it's like, that's also why they respected me. Like you put me in a contest environment and it's a show too. It's entertainment, you know, like mm -hmm. you learn how to be an entertainment entertainer. You learn how to take your mind to places that are like different so that you can actually rise to the occasion. Like you've seen so many people that like are great in the gym and then they show up on day of contest and they don't rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've always competed much better than I trained and I wanted my athletes to be the same way. And it's like, we had fun. You know what I mean? Like you have you to make, attribute that to? I think in some ways it probably is from like a rough childhood. You know what I mean? Where it's like, to me, the things that I looked forward to the most were things that were out of the house, you know, an escape from like my normal reality. So, you know, anytime you have kids that are going to be from like bad upbringings or something like that, there's going to be a lot of, you know, displacement from the here and now in their brains, like their mm -hmm. fantasy and escapism and strategies like that to try to deal with sort of like constant traumatic experience. And for me, like sports were the great escape, you know, and if I didn't dominate in sports, then I'm nothing. You know, so I have to figure out a way, no matter what, to always be able to kind of dominate in these areas because I don't want to go home and I don't want to be stuck in that environment. And so whatever it is, you know, however you need to make it so that you continually, continuously rise. I mean, I remember for that team, like something that stands out to me as like a hallmark experience. We had this uh, RV poll that we did for charity. Okay. And these guys wanted to make this fun. So we, as a team 
went shopping in the greater Springfield area. And I, if you've never been to Springfield, Massachusetts, it's a hellhole, okay? <laughs> so we went to like all these dollar stores and Salvation Armies and stuff like that. We spent the whole day. We had so much fun, but everybody got the weirdest outfits you could ever imagine, okay? It looked like a demented <laughs> Halloween party on acid or something like that. And uh, so we show up for it and like people are just dressed out of their mind. I remember like, Nick Hedge had this crazy lion hat and like these like velvet overalls with one strap and like it was just like he looked like Super Mario like mixed with some kind of like animal or something like that <laughs> and it was just like and he performed out of his mind you know what I mean like his yeah. brother was uh, Deadlift Dracula you know he just had this like vampire suit on and just like summoned this and like ripped weight off the ground you know and it was just like it was it was like flipping the script on who you are, wow. you know? And if you can flip the script on who you are, you're gonna be able to do things you never thought you could. And wow, I love that. so yeah. I, I really felt like that was the if I'm gonna get you guys, like how do I get you to believe in any way, shape, or form that you are someone that you're not and that you are someone that can do things that you can't do? Well, you have to become someone that you've never been before. How do you do that? You know. Well, it's funny to me to see the parallels, and it, I, I like that it starts with a self awareness of why you got into sports. Because I think I saw Simon just shake his head the entire time you were saying that. But it's like what you said with the the RV pole and like leaning into the awareness of why people do what they do, and then elevating the bar. You said the same thing when you walked into Brooklyn College. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, okay, like you guys want to be this, so you have to raise the bar, and it's like mm -hmm. you didn't. You didn't coddle them like you you raised the bar for them and or you allowed the, you allowed them to raise the bar for themselves which i think is pretty cool and i think back to like kind of the, the the corpus of this is like from an education perspective that lack of self-awareness of why people do what they do is ultimately i think what fails in the education system because it's like if why why would anyone collect a sixty thousand dollar check to work 12 years like you, why why would you do that right if it's just to collect a check then it's like well what what awareness do you have of yourself and why you do what you do what awareness could you possibly have of those around you to motivate them to raise the bar and i think that's why we've seen a fairly stagnant profession when it comes to like innovation or like you know fms and sfma was probably the last time we saw a concerted effort to put together something outside of the conventional realm. And what did academia? Twenty five years old. Twenty five years old. Yeah. I mean, shout out Great Cook, man. I remember mm -hmm. like first kind of getting like my spots with strength and conditioning, and I would be the person in the lab learning FMS, going, "You know, this is bullshit, right? <laughs> like, this is what are we doing here?" <laughs> and everyone's like, "No, man. Like, Great Cook is a PT." And then I, I thought I was so smart in undergrad. Cause I'm like, ah, you guys are stupid. I didn't have a better idea, but I was like, you guys are stupid. But over time, I was like, yo, shout out Greg Cook, man. Like, good for this guy. It's a well-written book. Well, I mean, just the, to the ability to to just think outside the yeah. box when the box is so comfortable, right? Where you don't have to explain why you do. You don't have to have any self-awareness, let alone of your like awareness of yourself or those around you. And it's like, I think you start to see. And it was the same one competing at powerlifting. Like they invited me to the strong meets because I told them I'd help clean up the chairs after. But like, there'd be all this weird infighting and beef and uh, in the underlings, but in, in every warm up room I've ever been at, like good meets I was at, everyone was so cool. Like, cause everyone knew why they were there. Everyone had an awareness of what made them tick and how to tick. And like, 
maybe even if you knew friends, if you were friends with people, like you knew how to make them tick and because mm -hmm. everyone wanted to see the best for themselves and ultimately it turned out to be the best for the sport. And it's just like, I think that's what lacks in a lot of education is just like that underlying awareness of like why you do it. Because some people are like, oh, I do it for Instagram followers. Like, I don't, I don't, I like, I'd wake up tomorrow and still just talk about exercise. Like, I don't have to do this anymore. Like, I could just go, I don't know, I could do something. I go back to cracking necks and be all right. But it's like, nah, I still wake up at, I like that that's how, that's our like fallback position. Yeah. Like, I guess I'll go back. I guess I'll go. <laughs> I mean, whatever. It'll be cool. But like, I don't know. Like, I remember a point where I, I didn't have to look at what things cost in the grocery store anymore. I remember that day. And then the day after I still woke up at 5 a.m. and just started writing stuff down that yeah. I was thinking about. I was like, oh, cool. I thought I would sleep till like at least 8.30. It's like, I didn't have to look at cost per units of eggs anymore. I was like, oh, great, I made it. And it was the same thing I was doing yesterday. Do you feel like you still have the same hunger for new information as you used to? Almost more so. Okay. Almost more so, because I think I just, I think the exposure now in which I can look outside myself and start to just have more conversations. I think that's what's really opened my eyes is having the time to start looking outside of textbooks and just talking to people, like traveling or seeing different sports or talking to different athletes and like just being more accepting that like, especially at the high level that there's so many, I, I think a lot of what I thought was working was working in spite of what I was doing. And then it's like just being more open to like, man, I was probably like dead wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think there's more, I'm more aware of my mistakes now. So I think that just gives me way more opportunity to start filling gaps. So I think more so than, than less. Mm -hmm. I, I find the opposite. <laughs> What's that? Huh? Why? Do you why? Think that? Yeah, why do you think that is? I feel slightly apathetic towards just new knowledge for the purpose of, I guess, the things that I was interested in. So say, for example, when it comes to, I don't know, getting people stronger for the purpose of powerlifting. I think so many things work and it's so individual that I'm not interested anymore in dissecting the minutia of, oh, whether this angle or that angle or this exercise or that exercise. I don't know, I think it's more of a matter of trial and error than it is about learning the very specific scientific minutia of strength training. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, I don't feel pressure anymore. Like when I was checking cost per units of eggs, I was like, I'm, there's certainly a point where I, if I can rattle this off quick enough, or if I can say something in a strung out thought, or I can write something, it's like, I won't have to check the price of eggs anymore. Like this, the day I didn't have to sleep in my forerunner, I was like, oh, sick. And now that actually like, that gave me a freedom to be curious again, where like mm -hmm. I, I felt every day from the second I graduated, we're like, hey, uh, you know that 250,000? Coming I need that back Coming and we're down. charging interest. I was like, oh God, into the books we go. And it's like, I didn't care what book it was. It was like, I would read something, synthesize it, make it applicable, Instagram post. Yeah. Read something and it was just like, that was the machine. And once you get feedback from that machine and you're mm -hmm. like, you hear, Shopify has the most annoying thing. I don't, we all, you have a Shopify story? Shopify story. Well, like Shopify, when you get a payment, the notification on your phone is literally the old cashier register. Cha-ching, and it's like, Oh, I like that. Whatever that was, that was nice. Let's do that again. And I, like, you could correlate it to like, I wrote this post and then I heard the cha-ching and I was $49 closer to be out of my quarter million dollar hole. <laughs> and then once I was like, oh, the cha-ching doesn't. And then I could just go do whatever the hell I want and turn my notifications off. And then I was like kind of free to start exploring without that pressure. Like it was, and that's where I think it's hard for me when people come like, hey, I, I want to either go back to school or and I'm you're, looking to And your interests haven't shifted? 
Oh, they've shifted massively. Like they've shifted away from the conventional strength sports into just sports and human movement in general. Like mm-hmm. and as they've evolved, they've just kind of chased new questions. But I feel like I'm completely over it. Really? I took an epigenetics course last year, started diving into that, now fashion. But that's fine too. And I think that itself differentiates you, right? Yeah. And I think there's there's people who who want to get into things like I think being a renaissance is is something that's understated, right? Like mm-hmm. I love traveling to a point where it's it it's another passion of mine. And I I just think that there's you can you do love both. taking cute pictures for Instagram. Well, I love <laughs> that my girlfriend loves it. So if she loves it and I love her, then that's a great thing to do. So I don't care. Like I love taking your lectures and seeing the background of like a different country at the lecture. It's yeah. Just, it's, it'd be the same week too. Yeah, it was a tough, that's, I mean, but it's, I think it's a good message to send, right? Because I think some people can hear me and Pat talk and just go like, oh my God, like what must dinner be like with these guys? They're just gonna sit there and be like, the God, the, did you see the overpronation of our server? Oh my God, I wonder if he has like a, and it's like, we're probably when we go to dinner after this, we're not gonna talk about a single thing about working out. I hope not. see it. No, yeah. we're, we're done. That's our, like, we just, and I think that's something that's worth hearing. Yeah. Right. So I think you being having trepidation around that is you shouldn't be. People look at people look up to you way more than they look up to me and him, without a doubt. Because you reach a demographic that, like me and you walk down a sidewalk, those people that you reach go to the other side of the road. They're like, oh fuck, creepy old men. Right? Like they're just like, I this I know how this ends, and it ends with me on CNN. And it's like I don't know. I, I think it's I don't think you should. I don't think you should be ashamed of that. I think it's cool what you've done. No, I'm, I not, think, I'm not ashamed. But it's like, I feel <laughs> like you think, ashamed. but I, no, I feel like you think that you've like, I think you should be ashamed. You've turned your back on nerd. it or something. <laughs> but I, I'm a nerd, but then I like, it's nothing for me to just throw my life in a bag and just leave for a few months. Yeah, no, I guess n- not, I'm not ashamed to just, I think it makes me a little bit sad to have lost kind of that curiosity but you have it. It's just in fashion it's a, now. Yeah, it's yeah. in a, it's in a different field, I guess. Yeah. But it it is kind of sad for me because it was my whole world. But well, I think that from what I understand on this too is that after you've kind of dove down really deep in one area, like it's the great part about that is that you learn the process of reaching mastery. Yeah. And most of the time, what's really interesting is that m- most individual buckets that you can go down in knowledge-wise are very similar when you really get into them. Like, and, and it's the process that you learn that becomes so important. Like there's a process to being able to become truly an expert in something. Mm-hmm. And once you have that process put into place, now you can apply it to other things. And once you've reached mastery in one area, it's learning more minutia in that singular area is not a particularly good way to have significant advancement in that area. Rather, being able to draw from divergent topics and to create these broad associations Mm -hmm. now becomes the most powerful strategy to actually be able to progress yourself Mm -hmm. from an intellectual manner. So, you know, I I remember, you know, Bill Hartman is somebody that I love and I wish that more people knew who that man was Mm -hmm. because I think he's just such a profound thinker. Mm -hmm. But I remember hearing him explain how the pelvis works by explaining how sidewalks are constructed once. And that he's like, well, you know, don't you know why sidewalks have the lines built into them? Like, you know, like you don't step on the the pre-made crack of the sidewalk because the thing has to change shape ever so slightly depending upon the weather. 
Like they can't be just completely flat without divides in them. It's the same as a pelvis. Like it needs to be able to respond to like ever so slight changes and fluctuations and fluid volume and pressures and shifts and things like that. So it's just like if you understand sidewalks, you understand a pelvis. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, okay. Like, and then I was like, Bill, why do you know about sidewalks? Yeah. And he's like, why don't you? Yeah. And I was like, how'd you flip that on me like Do that? you feel I, like you... Those people are just curious about everything, and that's a specific kind of... Mm -hmm. yeah. I just wonder if you, yeah. like, you feel like you lost the curiosity for it after like, maybe the 19th world record, the 20th <laughs> world record, the 21st world record. Because like, kind of to Pat's point, I feel I got into this because I... Oxygen and spite are probably two things that I lived off for the majority of my, from 18 to like probably 28. For a decade, I was like, that's what kept me alive. <laughs> was like being like kind of the dumb jock and looked at as someone who maybe shouldn't be intelligent or wouldn't be intelligent. And I, I compensated from the eight, and I'll t like, I'm very aware of this. Like I use big words unnecessarily because I had people in Amex lounges wow. who asked me to clear their tables. You've made so much progress. <laughs> it's such a complex from that. Right, oh, it's a, but I, I doubled down. It's like, oh yeah, no, put the scorpion on my fucking neck. Yeah, yeah. put the tattoo on my hands. Like I want- Jordan, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You've yeah. made so much progress as a human. I do what I can. Yeah. I get by with a little help from my friends. But do you feel yeah. like some of that might be from like, you know, what are you just gonna show up and just dust another group of power lifters again? And just yeah. like, just give her the trophy in the parking lot so we can all go the fuck home. I don't need to wait nine hours to lift nine things. You know what I mean? Honestly, okay, yeah. So nine I think that at the beginning, things. my quest for knowledge was a product of wanting to advance myself as an athlete, right? Like mm -hmm. I wanted to know what the best way of training was for myself. Mm -hmm. And then obviously I developed a passion for helping others and, and I guess distributing that knowledge or however you want to say it. But I think I got tired from social because I used to write a lot of inflammatory posts as well. You know, I would choose a, specifically a topic that was controversial to write about and word it in a specific way so as. It, that's how I met him, actually. He called me out on my bullshit one time. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, that was the whole thing. And I think I just got to a point where I just found it so inconsequential to even be talking about it. It's like, what's the point of this conversation, whether the knee should be over the toes or, or not, whether, the, whether there's two degrees of a nominate rotation or not? Like, I don't give a fuck. Go train for a long time, lift weight if you want to get stronger, run fast if you want to get faster, jump high if you want to jump higher. I don't care. Like, I just got bitter about the whole thing. Mm. It's like, it just became this dick slapping contest of, ooh, who read the most articles? Did you read this article? Actually, no, this abstract. It's like, dude, I don't care. Honestly, you can have the award for most papers read. Yeah, but I mean, that's a transcendence, right? I think ultimately if everyone will will settle right like everyone will like I think of it like tuning guitars like I've had massive swings and I'm still looking for that light to go green when I've hit and like find a lifestyle that I resonate with mm -hmm. like there's times where I travel too much like God, I haven't read a book I've, I've had the same book in my backpack just so I can like when the guy asked me to clear his table in the Amex lounge I could sit down with I haven't read Walden in a year and a half, I've been. It's in my. It's in my backpack right now, just so I can sit across from him, like, hmm. yeah. <laughs> upside down, like backwards or whatever. But it's like I don't know. I think it's just finding that like resonance, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that inherently. It's no one would ever question your passion for what you do, because it's 
It's it's funny. I watched Batman Begins the other day. Mm. I don't know why. I was trying to explain something to Tess. Oh, one was of the houses on, on the street looked like, like, like a network television thing, like TBS. Or no, I know. It was like in the. It was in like the Netflix. Okay. Okay. In the Netflix. That's the correct. The yeah, it's a parlance. God, fuck! I'm getting old. And like Katie Holmes says this thing. It's it's not it's not who you are on the inside that counts. It's what you do that defines you. And I was like, oh, that. It was the most like prophetic thing in the world. So like, you don't have anything to prove. You fucking train ten hours a day. And he doesn't have anything to prove. He's I'm like, how big was your book? He's like, hundred ninety thousand pages. I was just like, oh, okay, I got this coffee table thing, and my book is literally that. It's all oh, the places you'll go. It's like, well, I don't. I think it's a transcendence where you don't seek validation externally anymore. And I think, however, you arrive at that, like yeah. that's the whole game. Yeah, no, I'm totally at peace. Yeah, no, and and I, and I know it. that I'll, I'm curious enough that I'll eventually find something that I'm obsessed with that I'll mm -hmm. want to immerse myself to the deepest level so it, it's a discover I call it discovery phases I think we all go through them you know I've gone through them professionally athletically spiritually you know you yeah. just go through these like paths of reinvention and just going trying to figure out what the next thing's gonna be and I feel mm -hmm. like I'm at that point right Some now people more than others well, I think it starts with the awareness, right? Yeah. Like the awareness that you're in this phase and being open to new ideas, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Just like, just like what Pat was saying earlier, it started with the self-awareness of why he did what he did. And I think that, I think if, if there's one thing that's lacking that should be taught, it's not kinesiology, it's not PT or Cairo or biomechanics or expertise. It's like teach a four-year-old, and obviously it's a hard thing to do, but if you can teach someone to be self-aware, it's like, oh, fuck, there'll be no more wars, there'll be no more memes, like it'll all just be, be one happy place to live. Hey, sorry, I want to throw the same question at you. Yeah, um, so before I jump into that, were you wearing your short pants and listening to rock and roll music when you were on the Netflix? On the <laughs> Netflix, yeah. But uh, all right, I just couldn't, I couldn't resist that. Uh, I just picture, you know, shaking the fist and get off my lawn sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, in terms of finding that passion or reinvention or things of that nature like I, I you know I'm at a I feel like I'm in a weird place with it right now you know like um, you know I've got a, a one and a half year old son now and he occupies a significant chunk of time for me you know and I have a life that has a tremendous amount of stressors now that I never had before and I feel like for me I've been kind of pulled away from having, uh, you know, cognitive exercise, science-based stuff, which is a, it's been a big part of my life. It's been kind of forced to take a back seat in a lot of ways. And I've been fighting with that in some ways, you know, it's because it's a big part of my identity. And it's almost like I have to kind of accept a little bit of some role shifting right now that is not easy for me to, to go through. Like, I, I think that um, it's been hard for me to figure out my own identity in my life in general, yeah. you know? And I remember when, when I had baseball kind of taken away from me in some way, shape or form, because I had some significant substance abuse problems as a younger person. And like, you know, that, that really like led me out of college in my first attempt and baseball fell apart for me and when that happened I was like you know 19 years old and had zero identity at that point in time if I wasn't a baseball player I was nothing like literally nothing 
and it was incredibly depressing. And now it's kind of like, am I a father? Like that's a role that like, I, like me? Are you kidding me? Like it's a hard thing for me to accept and to move into. And there's just other areas of my life that are just challenging, you know? And so it's, it's all these pulls, 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 and stress just kind of rising, rising, rising. And, you know, for me to be able to like actively try to learn new things is just becoming harder, you know? And, but at the same time, it's, it feels like I don't know myself anymore without that. And, and that's been tough. But the other thing that kind of jumped into my mind was what you were talking about in regards to like the award for the person that read the most articles. But it's, it's usually like the way that people are trying to cite information, it's always like in a very negative manner. It's mm -hmm. like being, it's like weaponizing citations. And it's like, it's a weird approach that people kind of bring to the table. And it's like purely to, to just try to pick someone else apart and take them down. Especially with how flawed most research papers are. Yeah. It, it does usually demonstrate a lack of awareness of the power of a singular study, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, oh, you're wrong because of this random study over here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't think that that even actually applies to what I was talking about. Thanks for coming in <laughs> and like, just like farting and leaving. Like, cool. But, you know, with a lot of these things, like what I appreciate from other professionals is when they're able to collect a lot of information from various sources and to really build something out of it and, and have that as like, I've built this, I actually use this and I am trying to offer this to other people. And that takes so much time and energy and care. And oftentimes when people do that, you know, it's, again, you kind of have like the buzzards coming in and try to pick, pick, pick at it rather than to understand the whole thing and to see how the pieces all came together for it. And I have no problem with people picking. Like I, I pick at things, like I can't help it. Like I think an academic uh, training makes you really good at finding flaws in things. That's, that's kind of what you do. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you also can't appreciate the foundations of something and what came together to be able to build a collective presentation, then if you're just picking at things that you don't fully understand, you're, you're really just kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, just, it's a demonstration of just nastiness to mm -hmm. me. Uh, for no upside mm -hmm. and purely destructive. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people that have nothing going on other than like gaining some kind of validation through being nasty and just purely destructive. And it's exhausting mm -hmm. when you've tried to actually like really do something of value and the majority of the comments that come at you are those and um, you think it's the majority of the comments or do you magnify it might them? just be the ones that I pay attention exactly. to well, it's probably the ones that get posted right yeah. like there's probably yeah. I mean look at views on your videos there's probably hundreds of thousands of views and like there's probably I don't know 10 people who are like certain certainly I'll never cross paths with this guy who are bold enough with a picture of their cat as their Google profile <laughs> to just sit there as anonymous 738 user and throw shade right yeah. and I think it's and I don't want to turn into like a, a, a culture of glad handers, but it is 
like, you know, I think there should be a move of positivity within it because you get so much, you only get a filtered display of those people who are, who are probably just don't understand it to your level. So they're just trying to tear you down to where they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, they're picking on minutia because they don't, they can't conceptualize the full picture. But I, I would say that, and it's probably hard to see the forest for the trees sometimes, but I would say that the positive impact is the majority. It's a silent majority. Usually, yeah, it's like people that leave reviews are only the disgruntled. I had a <laughs> pathology professor in chiropractic I'm college there's less than Robert people on earth who leave all of the negative Coop. reviews. <laughs> I, had a I had a professor that I stopped studying for his exam because I found a Yelp account where he left a negative review on a coin car wash. I was like, oh, I know how to, I know how to answer all these guys' questions now because I know him. It's like every question was a trap. Every question was a bullshit double negative. What I thought was the wrong answer was the right answer in every question. So I never studied for another Cooperstein test in my entire academic career because I'm like, inhabit the mind of a guy who's like, you're literally just yelling into the abyss. You're writing a negative review of a coin car wash. Like, what is wrong with you? Hey? That's ridiculous. It, but that is people. And I was like, oh, once I knew that, like, I just, like, let it go. And I was like, okay. Like, I used to fight with, this is right, this is right. It's like, dude, you're never going to win. It's so the second I was like, oh, this is him. Okay. I aced every one of his tests because it's like everything was a trick question. Everything was like, ah, I got you, bitch. Like, like all right. This is how you want to play the game. These are the rules of the game. Win the game. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. Yeah. And on that note, hungry? Starving. Thank you so much, Dr. Davidson. Well, I'm so formal. Did you like that one? I've never got a doctor shout. Thank you. It's not worthy in this company. <laughs> Thank you so much at the underscore muscle underscore doc. I love how she doesn't even know my Instagram handle. I at underscore. The no, underscore the underscore. underscore. What did I say? She doesn't even know my name. I'm what did certain I say? of it. You said at underscore. Oh, uh, no. Okay. My bad. I have Bleeding slight underscore. dyslexia. Do you know my name? No. That's okay. Thank you so much. Thank you.